we must constantly look at things in a different way. The Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast was created by two physical therapists out of the desire to learn more about the different educational roles in physical therapy and healthcare and how healthcare education works by talking with educational leaders and people with different perspectives within physical therapy and across interdisciplinary lines on how education can be improved to disrupt the status quo of healthcare education. This is our journey, and thanks for listening. Are you a third-year physical therapy student that excels on tests when you have study guides, checklists, and deadlines? With all of the information available about how to prepare for the NPTE, it's easy to get disorganized and not feel prepared going into the big day. NPTE Prep Success is an online course that provides PT students easy-to-use study guides and step-by-step guidance through the NPTE preparation. To learn more, visit kylericeprep.com. Thank you again all for your continued support, and now for the show. Hi, everyone. My name is Stephanie Wyrock, and welcome to the Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast. I'm joined, of course, by my co-host, Brandon Poen. We are live at APTA Next here in Orlando, Florida, and we are joined by a very special guest. Scott Yupi is here. Uh, Scott, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, kind of what led you to where you are today as a clinical education expert? Well, I've been practicing 30 years, 30 plus years, and I started off as a, a regular clinician working in neural care, basically, and I always had a passion for teaching students, so I had, uh, within my first year, I started having students, and as my career progressed into more orthopedic world, it just kept going with wanting to take a student every year. And um, one benefit of getting a board certification, people sometimes don't think a board certification is important, it gave me an open door to start teaching a part-time at a university, Cleveland State University, right? live close by, and that experience of teaching academically got me more experience with the students and then able to do more clinical, kind of short-term clinicals. Um, we do some pro bono care in the Cleveland area, and the students go there as well. And I've been blessed to be able to work in the pro bono clinic with students, kind of give the idea of giving back to the community. Um, my role has progressed now to where I work at the Cleveland Clinic, where it's a multidisciplinary health system and we, uh, I oversee the student education uh, for all disciplines, OT, speech, ethic, training, as well as PT, um, PT assistance, of course, um, as well. But it's, it's been just a journey of like doing things, um, getting experience of doing it as far as doing clinical education with students, and then progressing that to what's best practice and helping other CIs become better. Uh, mentoring them, and then from there, getting the overseer to kind of now communicate with other site coordinators and help them with their mentoring of other CIs. Um, so that's where I'm at now. That's really cool. In, in case our viewers aren't aware, Scott just uh, ended his term as a nominating committee member for the American Physical Therapy Association. So he is done with that, and now I'm assuming that you're going to be, are you going to be taking on any new roles at all at uh, your institution? Uh, it, it, like, no, no new roles, uh, Stephanie. I'm going to kind of stay pat with what I'm doing. Maybe I'll have more time now to finish some projects that are on the uh, post-it uh, list on my desk, you know, pile of post-its. Um, <laughs> they're, they're there, and I haven't had time to get to them, but yes. Um, one idea, actually, we're working on, um, it's like a lot of health systems, we're trying to do clinical pathways and using the clinical guidelines, the clinical practice guidelines, 
set up pathways for our staff to become being more competent in their practice and working at the highest level. Um, but one question we haven't done with it, we do the education piece well, but we're not monitoring that change of practice. Does it change outcomes? So on my kind of list to do is like that next step of, okay, we taught the staff how to practice. Are they changing their practice, number one? And then with that practice change, are there different outcomes? Do you feel like with students coming into your practice and being around all these clinicians, do you feel like that that has impacted any way on how any of your clinicians practice? If they're a good clinical instructor, yes, because students teach us. Um, students know the information. They, they, they know how to obtain the information probably better than we do with experience. So I, yes, I think students teach us all the time. We have a, a, a pretty much a standard, if you will, that students are going to at least present one formal professional in service, not just a handout. I want them to do a professional portfolio. But part of that, they're teaching us then uh, a clinical coral, if you will, to our staff. No, I love it. And I love how, specifically with your role, I think this is the first time on the show we've ever had someone who's really been involved with true healthcare clinical education, like from all these other disciplines. We've right. mostly had mostly PT on for that realm. Okay, so great, yeah. I've, I've got to ask just because, you know, to kind of open the doors to kind of what you see. You see all these different professions kind of under your, under your, under your hat. And my question is, what are some of the biggest limitations or issues that you are seeing or experiencing kind of regarding healthcare clinical education? Uh, well, the variability. And PT, as you know, probably if, uh, you've been talking to other people with clinical education, there's so much variability, the length of the clinical, what placements should they have, um, what's the sweet spot as far as the number of weeks that should be there. Um, and that's just PT. OT is standard. They, they pretty much do their 12-week 12 12 clinicals. They do two, 12 weeks, uh, level one, level two. And then they may have an elective. I know the doctor at OT is going to have a capstone project on top of that clinical education piece, which is very intriguing because I think this capstone is a project then that helps the site. And I think that's going to attract the concept of if I take you on as a student, what are you giving us? Um, the in-service is nice, but maybe a project of something of substance that will help the, the site that may allow the site to go, maybe we'll take more students. So OT is doing that, that's different. And the speech therapy is totally different because they do an internship, which I know in the PT world, there's this uh, uh, internship concept uh, that's not accepted overall, but it's being you know one of the options thrown out for clinical education. Um, speech does that, and it's very successful for them. Um, ethic training does an elective internship. Not all the programs have an internship, but some do. Um, I think that's growing now that they're gonna be a master's level uh, training. So, Understanding each discipline where they're at and um, kind of putting it together. We have a team of uh, each uh, leader in, I call it our clinical education leadership team, and each discipline is represented and we try to hash out the best practice between our disciplines to make some uniformity. We have a unified student handbook. So all disciplines are represented in that, so when a student comes on to our site or one of the sites, they know what they're going to get. Um, and, and all disciplines are there, so the student can even know what specialty they may want to observe or be involved in when we talk about interprofessional education. I think we're doing that. Um, it could be better because I want to have more true, like, student being with multiple other students from other disciplines. We're not doing that quite yet, but 
at least we have the disciplines represented together with the students practicing. Yeah, and one thing, of course, that, you know, as anytime we're doing something new to try to see how we're changing, pushing the needle forward, we also want to be tracking our progress objectively. And right. I guess with that, my first question is, based on what you know from these other healthcare providers, not just PT, but in terms of their clinical education, do we have any outcomes or measures on how successful we are doing with those changes? So I guess that's my first question. Yeah, Brandon, I, I, just my involvement with the APTA, uh, with the education, the academy, excuse me, of education, um, ACAPT, um, and Ozzy APTA, the, uh, the, the partnership, I think, is trying to do that, but we don't really have good clinical education research. Um, I think if you heard Dr. Hack this morning, Dr. McMillan, she expressed that, that we need to have educational research, um, it's valid to kind of study that. Um, right now it's anecdotal. Mm -hmm. And that's why, I, when I said what's the sweet spot as, as far as the length of the clinical, it's anecdotal, it's level five <laughs> evidence, but the idea I think of 12 weeks seems a fit. Um, eight weeks is just enough to get the observation, learn how you get on the EMR. Um, but when I see a 12 week or 16 week clinical, it seems like the students are now really practicing. Mm -hmm. They're starting to understand the process that we have this in the system, but then they can start getting better care. Oh, absolutely. I think for me, just even personally, like my school rotations were the first one was six weeks and the remaining one were eight weeks. Okay. And I can see, like, for me, and this is just how my it was personally, is that I felt like at the end, finally, I was getting comfortable on my own. Week seven, week eight. Yeah, that's when you go. But I can but there's see. There's not an outcome to look at that. To say, yeah, yeah. It's not, it's eight weeks isn't as good as twelve weeks. I agree. Yeah. No, I agree. But then it's also like, are the shorter like I could see the shorter rotations being good if it's a rotation that you perhaps don't want to pursue. Right. And then would a longer one perhaps be ideal for one that oh I want to go into orthopedics so I'm going to choose a. You know, I'm not going to go to the hospital, so I'm going to choose the six-week one for my acute care, and then I'm going to choose my 12-week one, just hypothetical for... Well, the Oxford debates last year, that was our debate. Mm -hmm. um, should, can we have a specialist? Because if you're really interested in outpatient orthopedics, let's say, and we say, no, you got to have acute care, you got to have neuro, mm -hmm. I understand the, uh, you need to have exposure to it, but Absolutely. I want to be an expert. When I graduate entry level, I need to have more clinical experience in that specialty area. Mm -hmm. um, we lost the debate, though, so. <laughs> that was a great debate. Uh, Scott, you, we, we've been talking a little bit about PT clinical education. Is there any research going on in the OT and speech world on clinical education there? You said that OT has standardized yeah. their clinical education. Is that Has that come out of research, or is that also anecdotal? I think it's anecdotal. It's what they've done, and it seems like it works for them. Um, I don't know of any specific research looking at outcomes. and. The other piece might be, what are outcomes? What successful outcomes for a student going to a clinical education program? Um, I'm not sure we're aware of that. Um, there's a big talk now about confidence. Uh, what's the confidence? Yeah. Student? Let's say we determine some competency skills in a 12-week clinical, but you pass those competencies by eight weeks, what are we gonna do? Are we gonna let you finish then and save time and money maybe? In, in the, because uh, you're paying for those clinical education experiences, or do we give you more advanced training because you met your competency here? Let's give you a little bit extra to give you better outcomes, but um, we're not aware of what those outcomes are really. I have recently had a long discussion on competency-based um, curriculum for clinical education with Jody Frost, oh. and uh, she was an expert on this, and she was explaining to me that this is something that is starting to be implemented by medicine, and in vet school, this is what they do in vet school. 
she said, uh, this is something that really stuck out to me in my conversation with her is, you know, we could learn a lot from veterinarians and we don't interact with them enough, which is an interesting statement because in the, in the House of Delegates, which is the uh, policy-making body of the American Physical Therapy Association, we just passed a motion to encourage physical therapists to interact more with veterinarians. So I think that that kind of has a dual, a, a dual usage, both with animal rehabilitation, but perhaps even with uh, clinical education. Right, and I, I mentioned the Education Leadership uh, Partnership, uh, that's the ELP. Uh, APT is looking more externally, and so maybe that will help us. And I haven't heard Veterinarian Association come up, but. That may be a, a group we need to look at to study what their outcomes are with clinical education. Well, I think that's important, and we've heard it's been echoed throughout this conference and throughout House of Delegates that we need to be more externally focused. We can't be so internally focused in our profession. You know, we're we know who we are now. We have an identity. We have a mission. We have a vision. We have values. So now it's time to try to be uh, at the forefront of changing healthcare policy and hopefully part of that is clinical education to produce people who are more effective in that direction. Right, we want more efficient um, graduates coming out mm -hmm. so they can move, move that needle forward right away. Yeah. Um, you guys recently, are, you know, you're working and, and, and you can't not see patients and have good outcomes or yeah. your employer's going to say, hey, what's going on? Yeah. So we want to train you in your clinicals to be ready for that day one. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So kind of taking it to another level. So say, for example, that someone wants to get more involved in managing clinical education, like perhaps like in your role. What are some of the, like, could you kind of give us kind of like an overall snapshot of what that experience entails to kind of give some, some perspective on what are some of the barriers or some of the things that you go through to really work on implementing that, to really make these changes happen? Uh, well, some of the barriers to make things change is that are, the, the, the academic institutions have been doing something for a while and change is not easy in the institution. And that's not a blame on anybody, it's just mm -hmm. it, it, it's hard to change curriculum. So for us to kind of sit back and go, we want 12 week clinicals, uh, no, I guess I could sit down and put my foot down and say, we won't take your students since you go to 12 week clinical, but then I feel that's unjustified because I can't prove that those 12 weeks are, that's right. a barrier. There's no, no evidence. evidence. There's no evidence. Yeah, exactly. So we probably, the barrier is lack of really hard science to support that. Mm -hmm. um, and, and it's hard for schools to change as well as it's for us to change. But the conversation's happening, um, the education, uh, summit that we had in 2014 had multi-disciplines and we had all kinds of experts across the country uh, represent from ACAPT and APT and the Academy of Education and um, it, it was a good concept, mm -hmm. um, a lot of talking but nothing really objective has come from it yet but there are some research projects in the works um, that may give us some of the data that we'll be able to use to improve that. So Scott, you had mentioned that, um, you know, how do you know if a student's come out competent? And obviously we don't necessarily have a lot of the data to back that up, but I, I am interested in your perspective on the importance of mentorship during clinical, for clinical education and what your perspective is on mentorship. Are we doing a good job as physical therapists in mentoring our students and helping them come out competently? Or is that something that you've seen that isn't really as strong as it should be? Well, you know, Stephanie, um, if, uh, the, the clinical education uh, credentialing program, uh, CI, uh, credentialing program, CICP, I use these acronyms, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, 
but they have a, there's a, one of the sections talks about mentorship uh, for the student. And this actually came from the student assembly. I forget which year, I want to say 2002. Um, but the student assembly brought forth the need for mentorship. Um, and what I, why I bring this forward when I teach the uh, CI um, CP course, I find many of the CIs are not CPK members. So I think one thing we I need to encourage our CIs, or what we need to encourage all PTs to be APTA members, but the CIs have a lot of resources from being in the APTA. And to mentor, I think that professionalism is one piece I think we are lacking there. So when the student comes out and you see the CI not being an APTA member, guess what the CI or the student thinks? They think, well, it must not be a big deal. So I'm always encouraging CIs to be members of the APTA. That's positive professional mentorship. So they can say, yeah, we're teaching how to be a, a PT, but part of being a PT is going to APTA and going to professional meetings, going out in the community to do pro bono work. And I don't think we're really teaching that. If we're not a member, I think some of our CIs are missing that piece. You know, we just got out of the Catherine Worthingham Fellow lecture, and they talked a lot about how we as physical therapists need to take more of an active role in public health and in pro bono services. Mm -hmm. And it's true. Uh, you sometimes come into a clinical, the clinician works seven to six, goes home, hangs out with their family, which is great, mm -hmm. but yeah. you don't see a lot of, you don't, the student might not see them do a lot of outside activity that's... Oh promoting professional advancement, professional development, or just being involved in, in the community. So I really appreciate that you that you mentioned that. How does it comp how do we compare to uh, OT and speech as far as mentorship goes? I think goes? you're right along with us. I think, uh, and I, th I would throw medicine in there too. I, I'm thinking from what I've seen, again, uh, it's just reading kind of superficially that all our professions in healthcare are struggling with this concept. Um, so we're all trying to do it. But again, can we collaborate together and make it easier to obtain? I think so. Um, APT does have resources, though, in the Learning Center on mentoring. Um, it's more for residencies and fellowships, but I've used some of that with our CIs and taken some pieces from that to help our CIs maybe learn what, what is mentoring. Yeah, so just because I know there's a fair amount of our audience that are people, including students and clinicians, that perhaps do not look to APTA for these kinds of resources like you had said before and how that is. What would you say, like if you had a, a sell point to sell that to maybe some of those skeptical clinicians to really get them on board, what is unique about those resources that can really help propel that change forward? The one resource that I give every new um, PT when they're concerned to be a student is your self-assessment uh, instructor. It's on the APTA education site again. Uh, it's, He's saying the Academy now, the Academy of Physical Therapy Education. <laughs> I, I, we're going to have a problem with all our sections and academies. And I know. <laughs> as far as branding, I know everything's changing. But uh, the, the self-assessment on clinical instructor, I think, is a good tool. Um, I just download the PDF and I give it out. You don't have to be an APTA member. I mean, I'm an APTA member. I use it as a resource for even a non-member because mm -hmm. I want them to kind of self reflect on themselves before they take on a student to see what things they may need based on how they scored and we can maybe help uh, educate them on those deficiencies or maybe give them, you know, I have a lot of the newer um, PTs um, work with shadows students mm -hmm. and kind of just that communication is one thing and then mentor that process as far as how did that go, um, what things did you feel weak on and can we help you with that to improve that, even just a shadow student, right? Um, to this marketing profession, mm -hmm. and then going forward with maybe helping the students 
when a CI is on vacation one day. So hey, maybe can you, can you oversee the students? Um, I do that immediately. I, I don't think you have to wait a year to um, be a CI formally maybe, but that process throughout that year is training the, the, the young professional to be ready to be a clinical instructor because they want it. And so I'm going to the experience with the competency along with that. Yeah. I would also say that you know the APTA credentialing course is a very valuable yeah. tool because mm -hmm. a lot of clinical instructors maybe get students that are subpar and they don't really know how to handle that conflict. And I think that that course really does a great job at giving you the tools so that if you are faced with that situation, you can handle it professionally and in a way that is going to help that student not not necessarily feel bad about themselves and feel like a failure, but so that they are empowered right. to mm -hmm. be better yeah. and to change. And that is such a hard thing to do as a clinical instructor, especially. As and it helps with objective um, goal setting. And there's a lot of powerful tools in that mm -hmm. class. Um, and that is multidisciplinary. I don't, a lot of people may not know that PT, the treatment for PT, there is actually a, a credentialing process that we go through self-assessments, uh, or actually assessment centers for specific skills in clinical education, but it's open to OTs, open to speech, and open to mm -hmm. training. Um, occupational therapy does have their own credentialing class now. Um, it's very challenging, there's barriers of getting new classes though, because you have to have a clinician and an academic person, which I think is a nice model, teach the class, but uh, it's very selective in who those instructors are, and, and I've tried to get some of our staff to be an instructor, and it's not easy to... For the OT one? Yes, for the OT one. The PT is, if you're interested, um, and being a trainer, they have actually courses to train you to be a trainer mm -hmm. uh, in the CICP. It's, it's a great way to get involved in teaching because you, you do take the video of yourself mm -hmm. teaching and they yeah. critique you in a constructive way and you learn some skill sets on how to be a better in, uh, instructor. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think it's interesting because going back to kind of overall, we talked a lot about interdisciplinary and kind of different um, views from other professions on how to improve clinical education. Now I do want to take one little brief narrow focus on PT. So based on from what you see from all these different professions and stuff and what they're doing, what are some things that you think we as PTs need to start implementing? Now I guess, like we talked about before, realizing this is anecdotal, there's not a lot of hard right. evidence yet, but if we don't go and try stuff and then start to measure it, we won't know. So I guess my question to you is, what are some things that PTs should start incorporating or what are some things we should try out that perhaps other professions are doing to help move the needle? Um, well, I think this idea, this, the Doctor of OT program, mm -hmm. um, doing the capstone, where it's a significant project. It's not just like doing the, like I said earlier, it's not just an in-service. It may be something where they go to the site and we need some help in developing the, actually I was talking to someone from Johns Hopkins. They were having their OT student come in and actually help design maybe a new satellite of the business plan. Um, so that's something I think we could do as PTs as well, because mm -hmm. that's something in management, but maybe that PT wants to start general private practice after they graduate, how would you set up a business plan to open up your own office? That would be a great training, but it will also help that site, because it's yeah. helping them maybe develop a new, new site and, and, and expand their practice. Yeah, and I think it's interesting yesterday, even hearing Stephanie and us talking in a group about clinical education and stuff and what are some things so rather than just also focusing on clinician just being a clinician we should we got to look at what does it actually mean so that means we have to know the business we have to know the I mean knowing all these things and I know some people when they're in clinical education do not get exposure to that and then when they go into the real world it's kind of a slap in the face so I guess how can we best 
solve, like how do we integrate all these pieces so a student on their clinical rotations can get this exposure so they don't feel like they're kind of thrown, as much thrown to the wolves when they first start out. Right, I, I think we need to probably go to the direction of asking the students a little bit more what their needs are. Here's what I mean by this. You know, our, our values, um, your self-assessment, we score ourselves from zero to five. Maybe someone really wants to do advocacy. So maybe we help that student, even in their clinical internship, work on advocacy and, and how to do it. Um, that's kind of different. Or maybe they want to do more social pro bono work, so maybe we can help that student have opportunities to do that. So that's going to take work on the sites part to open up their viewpoints. And it's also going to take uh, the school to kind of say, yeah, we're open to that concept because it's education. I think we can do things in engineering, you know, innovation. Concepts we're not typically having clinical experience in that, but I think we can open ourselves up to that. And then um, going to community centers, um, really teaching the community how to do things differently. We, we're experts in movement. Why aren't we helping to teach that? Um, and I think that's the idea, right? Competency and our visions between society to help the society. How are we doing it with clinical education? Maybe we can use these concepts of different models, because we're not traditionally doing that in clinical education, but allowing that to be a part of it, we may add on to the school, and I don't know. But. We had alluded to the fact, we had alluded to um, the year-long internship that right. is in some programs now in PT. Um, what are your thoughts on the, that model, and how do you think what you just talked about, this more uh, well-rounded physical therapist versus just the clinician, but the clinician with a societal impact. Right. How do you think that could be integrated into that model? Well, I think, I, I'll be honest, the internships is concern me because uh, I, I just, I'm not sure how we're going to fit into my system where I work. And the idea of paying a student uh, is like them. I think we could do it. And this concept came up just this morning. I was in a meeting about societies. I'm like, how could we do that? Are we able to do that? Financially, would we be able to do that? Um, I think the internship would allow that because it would give us more time with the student, right? Um, but it's still a, really a change in mindset and paradigm that to make that happen, I would have to get some buy-in from administration to even let us do it as PTs. Right. So let alone mm -hmm. uh, but maybe allowing the student to do it would be a bigger buy-in because uh, we can allow the student have the opportunity. It's not taking away our cost per se. Um, it may expand practice and get us into the society better. Yeah, it seems like the, we're at this point where we have the, of course, this is probably most of things in life, but you're balancing cost versus making things broad. So are we producing a well-rounded clinician that's not just focused on right. their clinical work, that they're focused on improving the health of the community, they're focused on advocacy, they're focused on um, making sure that children in the community have wheelchairs, you know, all these different all these different aspects. And it seems to me that a student would have more time because now, like you said, our, I guess I would say, uh, anecdotal evidence says that, you know, it takes about eight weeks or more for a student to feel comfortable in that clinical setting to really start improving their skill set. Well, perhaps if somebody's in a year-long clinical, I mean, they're almost an employee, so now they have time to exactly. actually get involved in that. So it seems like there's Probably a... dedicating some time to that, to yeah. allow them to have that. It seems like it's it's a, it's a definitely a big balance between those two factors. Right. So I was against the internship, but my mind's kind of opened up a little bit more to it. I just got to get my hands around how I could 
fit that into a program. And that's where I think, again, clinical education has to partner with the academic institutions and come up with these ideas together. Uh, and that communication is happening. It's going to happen because people are talking. It's not like talking and listening to each other. Yeah. No, it's true. And, you know, I'm going to take a totally random question here, Scott, in terms of what are some of the biggest resources or most helpful resources, other than you had mentioned before a few from EPTA and such to help with just clinical education, but even in general regarding clinical education or even just education in general, what have some of them been the biggest and most influential, helpful resources that you have found that you'd recommend to someone? Well, the nursing journals have a lot of new different ideas, so I think we're referring to those. When you do a literature search on clinical education, nursing stuff a lot, that day training comes up a lot. Even though their internship's different, um, their on-the-field internship is very active. Um, then in the clinical rehab is not as much, but they have a lot of published articles, so I, I kind of refer to other disciplines. Um, Stephanie mentioned veterinarian, but medicine, so we do use those models, or at least look at those models, and they give you different viewpoints, mm -hmm. so we can incorporate into PT. No. And there's not a specific text that yeah. I think is really current or you know state of the art kind of it's current practice um, that might be one I would say go buy that book or something. No follow up that do you foresee that changing? Do you feel that I do? Yeah, I, I think because there's a push now at the foundation, mm -hmm. uh, the Academy of Physical Therapy Education of research. Um, there's a big push, and I think that's going to fit that concept of yeah, we need to publish. Um, articles on education and clinical education. So I think that will change. Yeah, no, it's great. And I think it's been a really enlightening discussion, just learning about all these different things, especially to get that perspective of kind of all these avenues. And we like to usually wrap by asking this final question to everyone. Okay. So the question is, if you could change one aspect of healthcare education, which aspect would it be? And how would you change it? I, I think we need to come up with the, the, the sweet spot clinical experience and with that then hold true to that make it consistent because administrators are asking me a lot of times what is our outcome we're taking these students are they being employed by us because they look at sometimes that is an outcome um, and when they start working are they working day one or how long about internship do we need beyond their schooling so if we can find that sweet spot, I guess that would be the thing. How do we do that? We need to start studying when an eight-week, eight-week, a twelve-week, a sixteen-week clinical, um, which is getting us that outcome that makes the students confident when they graduate. And I think we need to find that. Yeah. And that's going to take that brain of uh, openness, <laughs> mm -hmm. if you will. To make that happen. Yeah, because that sounds even like such, I mean, when you're saying that, I'm just thinking of all these other things that can influence those results. Location, cost, type of program. Exactly. And all those things, it's like, how could we, how do we account for all that? You know, it's, it's enormous, yeah. Well, Scott, we thank you so much for joining us today. I mean, I learned a lot about clinical education that I didn't know before, which is one of the reasons why we love doing these podcasts. Uh, so thank you very much for joining us. And if you have, uh, where can we find you on social media, Scott, if somebody wants to get a hold of you or, or on other online means? Okay, well, I'm definitely on Twitter. Um, during conferences, I tweet a little more. Sometimes I go through spells where I don't tweet. Um, I, ooh, I have a little underscore, so it's Scott 
OH, I think, underscore PT or something weird. I don't yeah. know why I did it that way. But you can find me, I think, Scott UP, uh, the last name E U Y P E. I don't know if you guys spell that. Um, but you can find me through my work email, um, UP uh, S at CCF.org. Yeah, thank you. Mm -hmm. uh, oh, it's underscore OHPT. <laughs> <laughs> and if any of our listeners are kind of curious, we have all those links to everything that he oh, kind of just mentioned posted in the show notes. If you're interested, just feel free to check them out and then you can go from there. But again, Scott, thank you so much for the time and everything and for thank your you service. For yes, thank you for your service to the APTA. And hopefully we'll see you serving again sometime Absolutely. in some capacity. Right. Thank you, guys. Access to healthcare is one of the largest issues facing both providers and patients, as millions of people worldwide lack timely and affordable access to healthcare. Anywhere Healthcare, a telehealth platform, is a simple, low cost option for providers and patients that eliminates the barriers to access to all kinds of healthcare. To find out more, check out anywhere.healthcare, which is available on our show notes. And if you use the code HET in all caps when you email to sign up, you'll save 25% off the total cost. Thank you for attending class today, and we hope that you learned something and gained value from the content. If you'd like to schedule office hours with us, feel free to add us on Twitter at HET Podcast, on Instagram, HET Podcast, on Facebook, the Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast. And the homepage, healthcareeducationtransformationpodcast.com. And for those of you following along in the syllabus, extra credit can be obtained by liking us, sharing us, and leaving a review. Let's continue our journey up Mount Educational Success as lifelong learners.